Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour, hi, Canada, to you at from Studio North. That music means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Every week at this hour, Dr. Larry Arn and I talk about uh, one of the great works. And I just got back from Chautauqua, where I spoke on Monday. Dr. Arn spoke at Chautauqua last summer, and I was discussing Dr. Arn's appearance. He talked about Aristotle and education, which is kind of ironic because I'm talking with Dr. Arn, or actually Dr. Arn is talking with students at Hillsdale College about the ethics and how Aristotle taught. And we have taken one of their video courses. It's a great experiment. Dr. Arn teaching 12 Hillsdale students Aristotle's ethics. And we have taken that video course and refashioned it into a radio course. Now, if you download the Salem News Channel, you can also watch it. And if you are loving it, and many people in Chautauqua had heard it, and they have heard the first two episodes, this is episode three, I would encourage you to go over to hillsdale.edu and watch the whole thing. The video courses are free, as is in Primus. Everything is over at hillsdale.edu, including the applications that you need to apply to Hillsdale College for the fall of 2023. I would encourage everyone, though, to stay right where you are. We have got a great first segment of part three of Dr. Arn. And remember, these are a dozen Hillsdale seniors who have read the book, some of them taking the seminar for the second time. I'm playing this not only so that you might learn about ethics, but the teachers everywhere learn about teaching by listening to Dr. Arn teach as he teaches and learns from his dozen students. So part three of Hillsdale College's course on Dr. Arne and Aristotle's ethics. The book is hard, and the book uh, presents many challenges. Book one, in the first paragraph, is just awesome. It's just dense with meaning, and what he does is he claims the good calls to us in everything we do, and he claims that the goods are arranged in a hierarchy from the stuff on the table up to heaven. And he explains it all in about that much text, which means, of course, you could read that text for a while to try to get understand what it means. No single part of it is particularly complex, but it's dense. But then he, he keeps diverting himself, right? There are several chapters in book one that begin to return to our original discussion, which means he's admitting in the first word, in the first opening of the chapter that he digressed and then darn if he doesn't do it again the next chapter you see why does he do that well the answer is because before he can tell you what virtue and happiness and character are he's got to tell you what kind of thing they are and indeed that's a gift because that means that he's writing the book along the way and you'll see that the book unfolds if you study it enough he's writing the book along the way for people who know as much as he's covered so far. In other words, it's, I like to say, it's a self-help manual in two senses. One is, he tells you the goal and how to get there. And the other is, he writes in a way to help you along the way. Okay, uh, Gil has volunteered to tell us what we've done so far. In the first session, we started by talking about what ethics is. Um, And we decided that it's essentially a way of living the best life, um, the good life. And you live the good life through developing a virtuous character um, by etching into your your character 
virtue through habitual action. And then we turn to talking about the good. We pointed out that every voluntary action aims at some good. And then we showed that there's a hierarchy of goods in the everyday life. So some, things, some ends are lower than other ends. In the second session, we turned to Aristotle's politics, and we talked about the development of the city, beginning with the family, moving to the household, the village, and then the city. The way in which the city is different is that it is self-sufficient, and it, instead of just aiming at living or surviving, it aims at living well. So that was pretty good, and especially for a boy who's only six years old. <laughs> but you left out the part about uh, the unique human gift and how that makes us political. So the, the way in which humans are political is not just that we form communities together, um, because bees and horses, they will also join together for some end, but the way in which humans are unique is that we have speech, and we talk about not just pleasure and pain, but about what is good, advantageous, and just. We disagree about these things, and we talk about them. And that's what makes us political. And uh, explain about this phenomenon of speech. How does that work? What is it? What's going on when we use a common noun? We're indicating the being of a thing. That's right. We're identifying something essential about it. It's not, however, a particular aspect of it to which you could point. Right? So... If this were the cup, it's a pretty good one in my argument, but if this were the cup, then there wouldn't be any others. So there's cupness, and you see that. And that's why you can use the words. And this cupness is identical to the good and the being of the cup. And other people see them too. That's one of the most important things in this book and in Aristotle, all of Aristotle. Because we're limiting beings, we don't have infinite power in Aristotle and in Christianity, that ultimate perfection would belong only to God. But it's a share in the ultimate perfection because we see the essences of things and therefore can rank them and uh, relate them and decide in what order they have dignity and treat then each thing justly according to its need, which is what gives rise to moral action. So that, so we got, we got all that laid out now. Now, what did we say was the ultimate purpose of human life, according to Aristotle? Happiness. Happiness. And we haven't quite said what that is. So there's a bunch of, bunch of claims about what makes happiness. They're famous claims. Wealth, honor. Um, yeah. Health. Pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure, yeah. So wealth is obvious, isn't it? I don't know if you know the Saturday Night Live philosopher Jack Handy, but he's very profound. And uh, one of his aphorisms is, uh, it's easy wanting other people's money. That's what I like about it. (laughs) (laughs) And we all think, don't we? If we were rich, we'd be happy. But also, by the way, in our heart of hearts, we know we might not. And that a lot of people who are rich are not happy. And what else did you name? Uh, pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure is good. We like it. Can you think, is it, is it happiness? What does Aristotle say about that? He said it's the <clears throat> life of fatted cattle. <laughs> <laughs> if you live only for that, and only in the common sense meaning of that. Because again, 
Common sense. One of the methodologies of this book, and there are many places where he begins a discussion by saying, let's start out with thinking about what people say about this. It's a characteristic of ancient philosophy that it takes opinions seriously. And it likes to start with them. And it finds out that there's something to them. And also that they tend not to be completely true. But you start with them and then you can help make them more true. So pleasure is obvious. We all like pleasure. But then we also all know that it wouldn't be good for us if we just pursued that exclusively. And we all know, something Aristotle points out powerfully in this book, we all know that if you just went after that stuff fully, that among the things that would happen is it wouldn't be very pleasant. See, I don't, I don't think uh, alcoholics take a lot of pleasure in alcohol. I think, in fact, it's a plague upon them. And uh, I think that a lot of things are like that. So pleasure won't do and wealth won't do. What else, Juan? Honor. Honor. Now, what about honor? What's honor? Good regard from others. Is that the same thing as happiness, being honorable? No. Why not? He says that the people who, or people who want to be honored in the political life want to be honored by people who are virtuous. So what they're, what they're, their aim is not just honor, but it's honor from something they value more than just honor in itself, which is these virtuous people, because they don't, they don't care about being honored by... You're going to read something, aren't you, Kate? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to... Go ahead. <laughs> he also says, also people seem to pursue honor in order to be convinced that they themselves are good. Yeah, and, but, but uh, Gill suggested a complication in honor. There'd always be the temptation to value the honor as much or more than the quality that gives rise to it. Don't go anywhere. That was the first part of part three of Dr. Larry Arnett Hillsdale teaching 12 students about Aristotle's ethic. If you've just tuned in for the first time and you haven't ever heard, we got like 400 Hillsdale dialogue. The last radio hour of every week is devoted to Dr. Larry Arnett and I or another member of the Hillsdale College faculty talking about important and lasting subjects. Right now we're on an experiment. It's the first time I've ever done this. Hillsdale has a lot of video courses and we try and get people to go and watch the video courses, so we are actually playing one of them for you. Download the Salem News Channel app if you want to watch it on that. We can go right to hillsdale.edu, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, America 2 Hewitt. That is, of course, the music I use for the second segment every week of the Hillsdale Dialogue, often with Dr. Larry Arn. Not always, sometimes. Dean Matt Spaulding comes in. Sometimes we have another professor. Uh, but this week, as I have the last two and for the next seven, I am playing for you Dr. Arn as he teaches 12 Hillsdale College students Aristotle's Ethics. Uh, this is the second segment of part three of that. The entire course, by the way, is available over at hillsdale.edu. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are found at hughforhillsdale.com, or if you simply Google iTunes and Hillsdale Dialogues, you will find them all. But we pick up with Dr. Arn in week three of the Hillsdale uh, course on the ethics, which he taught two years ago and which we've edited for radio. Enjoy, Dr. Larry Arn. Is there a difference in dignity between those first two things, pleasure and wealth, and the claims of honor? Doesn't Aristotle say that uh, people who seek honor are more serious than people who just want to live lives like fatted cattle? Right. 
But all three of them seem to be... They have some good in them. Uh, pleasure is not inherently bad, although when he starts the book, um, you explained this earlier, we go from a low form of pleasure, and later on we'll see that it, there is a good form of pleasure also. And the same thing for wealth. There, there is a place uh, for wealth as well. Uh, and so I think the same is for all three of them. Um, yeah, nobody's claiming here that it wouldn't be better to be rich. It just isn't enough. Right. Wealth is like authority. It's a test. If you're the kind who can manage those things, they'll be good for you. And if you're not, they won't. And uh, you know how Lord Acton is famous for saying, power corrupts, absolute power, absolutely. Aristotle says something I think is wiser. Power shows the man. Put somebody in authority, give somebody a lot of resources, and all of a sudden you'll find out a lot about them. So those things are good, but are they the substance of that highest good, happiness? And we will eventually find out that there are components of it. You don't need to be rich, but you need to have enough so you can live. Right. You'll find out that if you live a very good life, pleasures will come to you beyond imagining. But you have to earn it first, and then you'll find that it's really joyous. Um, Okay, so there's that. And so one of the reasons book one is written the way it is is because those things have to be taken up and considered. And they're not excluded, but they're refined. And they lead toward the ultimate definition of happiness, which is what we're about here. I want us to go to page seven for a minute. So in the, in the middle of that paragraph, a sentence begins, and one might raise the question. So somebody read that, please. And one might raise the question even of what in the world they mean by speaking of each whatever itself. <laughs> no, by the way, isn't that a terrible way to write? <laughs> Read it again. And one might raise the question even of what in the world they mean by speaking of each whatever itself, seeing as how there is one and the same meaning for both a human being and the human being itself, namely the meaning of humanness. So I, I've always been charmed by that sentence because... He's kind of making fun of himself a little bit there, too. You know, it, it, it is true, by the way, that for the reason that this is a cup, but it isn't cupness. It just has cupness, right? For the same reason, every human being has human beingness in itself. But another way to say human beingness is to say the human being itself. Now, carry on. For insofar... For insofar as something is a human being, there will be no difference, and if that is the way it is, there will be no difference either insofar as something is good. So you see that point? The good and being in that sentence are coextensive, right? If it's good, it has the being, and if, it's, if it is, it has the good. And so you don't have to use complicated things, Aristotle is saying. I know this is all great, and we're coming right back with the longest segment. But I do have to tell you that everyone at Chautauqua told me that I was better than Dr. Arn was. I was at Chautauqua on Monday, and Dr. Arn was there last summer, and I had about 183 people in the room. I think 182 of them said they liked me better than Dr. Arn. I think that's a scientific headcount of the reaction, because I asked them specifically now, if you listen, you'll know he knows more about Aristotle. He's a better teacher than I am. But I just, I, I'm probably one of America's greatest speakers. 
I like to be humble about that, but truth is truth. Dr. Arn, segment three of episode three of The Ethics will be here when we come back. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. If you have not yet signed up for Imprimus, you really have to sign up for Imprimus. Once a month, you get one of the great speeches made in America. It is a speech digest. It is absolutely free. And if you haven't watched any of the video courses, and there are many at hillsdale.edu, that's why we are doing uh, this special series of Hillsdale Dialogues on The Hugh Hewitt Show. All of the previous dialogues, 450 plus of them, are found at HughForHillsdale.com or at iTunes. Just Google iTunes and, and Hillsdale Dialogues. You'll find them all. And you can listen to the great works of history as uh, elucidated by Dr. Arn. But this is actually a course. And if you've downloaded the Salem News Channel app, uh, you can be watching it. Or if you're just listening to it, people st- told me at Chautauqua on Monday they're loving this. And I understand why. It's teaching. It's teaching the way that people ought to teach everywhere at every time in every class. Iterative. The way I teach con law. Listening and learning even as one educates as to a difficult text, in this case, Aristotle's ethics. So segment three of part three of Dr. Larry Arn teaching Hillsdale students about the ethics. Now we go to page 10. Okay, there's a paragraph at the bottom that says, but perhaps to say, somebody read that. But perhaps to say that the highest good is happiness is obviously something undisputed, while it still begs to be said in a more clear and distinct way what happiness is. Now, this might come about readily if one were to grasp the work of a human being. So remember about the horses, right? Grasp the work of the human being. What does a human being do? And uh, he's asking us to start thinking like that, right? I'll say to you civilians out there who don't know us, Uh, These are all really good students. Everybody likes them. Everybody respects them. To use a common phrase, they have what it takes. What it takes, by the way, to be an excellent student is the same thing as what it takes to be an excellent human being. Requires all the virtues. We'll see how that works. Okay. So we're defining happiness, right? It's not by themselves pleasure, wealth, honor... Right? Although those have claims, and honor, Aristotle indicates, has a somewhat more serious claim because if you seek honor in the right way, you're involving yourself in very serious stuff. My wife's father, a really wonderful man, was a camp commander of a Japanese POW camp in the Second World War, you know, held by the Japanese for four years. He was a very brave man. I love to tell about that. I honor and respect him. I'm the one who got him to talk about the war. He didn't like to talk about it. Why? He was modest. He liked to talk about the war. He just didn't like to talk about himself. That's honorable. Honorable to do things that are honorable and not seek honor for them. Right? One reason why he was so great. And when I first met him, my wife said, don't talk about the war. I'd say... I'm going to meet him for the first time, and we're not married yet. And uh, don't do it. I said, I won't. She said, I know you. Don't do it. (laughs) So I get in there, and he gives me a drink, and he says, what do you do, young man? I do research. And he said, of course. He said, what are you researching? And I said, well, we're 
researching the Second World War. <laughs> and he said, what part? I've been there eight minutes, you know. I said, uh, Dunkirk Beach. And he said, I was there. And I said, were you? What was that like? We talked for two hours about Dunkirk Beach. Not about him. He mentioned the bravery of many people. Never himself, right? So the point is, honor is real. Honor is high if it's the right kind. But it's also true that it isn't enough. And that means that what is enough must be very high, right? A thing precious to know. Okay, uh, page 11. Here's another thing about what happiness must be like. If you, if you see a third line down, or just as for an eye or a hand or a foot. Somebody read that sentence. Or just as for an eye or a hand or a foot, or generally for each of the parts, there seems to be some sort of work. One ought, ought one also to set down some work beyond all these for the human being? But then what in the world would this be? For living seems to be something shared and, ev- shared and even by plants, but something peculiarly human is being sought. Therefore, one must divide off the life that consists in nutrition and growth. So, an oak tree can be honored for being huge, but it didn't do that. Whereas, we're looking for something that's not just vegetative. Okay, go ahead. Following this would be some sort of life that consists in perceiving. But this seems to be shared in by a horse and a cow and by every animal. So, not just seeing things. And, you know, animals have memory and intelligence, like, my, our dogs can decide what time of day it is. And if they want to rush outside, they're very good at plotting their course through the house to go assault the postman. And uh, so it's not just seeing, and it's not just remembering. Go ahead. So what remains is some sort of life that puts into action that in us that has articulate speech. Of this capacity, one aspect is what is able to be persuaded by reason, while the other is what has reason and thinks things through. So he's saying whatever this work is that we're looking for that will produce the happiness of the human being, it has to be something essentially human. And then he goes to and then he introduces a complication that's interesting. The obvious thing to say would be it's just reason and speech. But he doesn't say that. He says it's that plus something that is responsive to that. Right? Isn't that what that bit means right there? He says, um, one aspect is what is able to be persuaded by reason. So like uh, growth and digestion, you can't think about those things and, and regulate them. But there's something that's not quite the same thing as the rational capacity that can talk that is responsive to that thing. And he's including that here. But he's leaving not just the talking part, but there's another part of us, and we're going to talk about what that is, that listens when we talk inside us and is responsive to our reason. And that, too, has got to be uh, uh, the work of building a character. The work of etching and engraving involves etching and engraving that thing, too, very much. Okay, go ahead. And since this is still meant in two ways, 
one must set it down as a life in a state of being at work, since this seems to be the more governing meaning. So, being at work, that's, uh, you could just translate that word being, and, uh, but uh, Sachs wants to emphasize that it's uh, active. We get it. We have it. We hold it. You know, something sitting on your lap is not the same thing as something you hold. You're involved in that. Okay. So, it's associated with reason. It's a, an active condition. Well, there's another passage I want to read about that. On page 13... And it appears that all the things that are looked for. And it appears that all the things that are looked for concerning happiness are present in what was said. For to some people, it seems to be virtue. To others, practical judgment. And to others, some sort of wisdom. While to others, it seems to be all or some of these combined with pleasure, or not without pleasure. While others include external abundance alongside these. So, by the way, do you see that there's a list here, virtue... Practical judgment, an intellectual virtue, we're going to find out. Some sort of wisdom, a different intellectual virtue, including pleasure and external abundance, a certain amount of wealth. That's a serious list. We're not just talking about anything low anymore, right? You're talking about five things that might just end up remaining, and we're going to find out they do. And so go ahead. Some of these things are said by many people and from ancient times, or others by a few well-reputed men. And it is reasonable that neither of these groups would be wholly mistaken, and that they would be right in some one point at least, or even in most of them. Now our statement is consonant with the ones who say that happiness is virtue or a certain virtue, since being at work in accordance with it is part of virtue. So now, virtue. Let's talk about that word for just a minute. What does that mean? Isn't it like the excellence of a thing being what it is? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it means the same thing as good, doesn't it? it uh, so the good of that is uh, my coffee's still hot. I haven't spilled it yet. Uh, the virtues of the human being are actually the same thing as the goods of the human being. And then the question will come up, why do you need more than one? And the answer is, we humans face a bunch of obstacles. Secretariat was given great gifts and loved to run and had trainers and nutrition and all that. The degree to which Secretariat was responsible was limited. Secretariat just does what horses do. There's something different about us. Because the good of that has to do with what somebody else fashioned. And the good of the dog is chiefly natural gifts and instincts. And the good of that, that is going to change a lot over time. And that is going to have a lot to do with the changes. We are makers of our own character. And that is an expression of our freedom. Okay, you were reading that paragraph. What'd you get to? Yes, but presumably it makes no small difference whether one supposes the highest good to consist in possession or in use, that is, in an activity maintained condition, or in a way of being at work. For even if the activity maintained condition is present, it is possible for it to accomplish no good thing. For instance, in someone who is asleep, or in someone who is incapacitated, or in some other. But if the being at work is present, 
this is not possible. For necessarily, the one who is at work in accordance with virtue will act and act well. Just as with those at the Olympic Games, it is not the most beautiful or the strongest who are crowned, but those who compete, for it is some of those who are the victors. So too, among those who in life are well-favored and well-mannered, it is the ones who act rightly who become accomplished people. Okay, so that paragraph is important because it will let us elucidate two things. The translator has an idiosyncratic tendency, which he says Aristotle has, because Aristotle does, by the way, make up terms of art out of Greek words that had not been combined before. And active condition and being and work are two such words. And what active condition means is you have gone through the process of engraving on your soul the possession of these virtues. And now... They are solid in you, and you are manifesting them. They radiate from you. And what being at work means is when the virtues are actually engaged. And so the epitome of human experience is this active condition or habit of being at work or expressing character when the human being is fully engaged. What the human being is made for is those moments when... Its qualities are fully engaged. And you know, another requirement, especially as regards moderation, uh, of the virtues is you organize your life to do that as much as possible. That means you have to commit to live a certain way. Every day, then, is a fulfillment and development of that commitment. And so Aristotle is saying, you know, as he qualifies what happiness might be, he says intentional as an expression of character, uh, living for the moments when it's fully engaged and best expressed the virtues of being a human being, he eventually will add, in a complete life. Aristotle says uh, misfortune is bad and does compromise happiness, but with this offset, it does provide opportunities to do beautiful things. To put it in the Christian way, it's your cross to bear. And if you bear it well... That's a virtue. Okay. On page 15, and I'll just summarize it here. It says, For happiness was said to be a certain sort of being at work of the soul in accordance with virtue, while all other good things are either conditions that need to be present for happiness or else things that naturally assist the work and are useful as tools. So now, why is it a being at work? Uh, You don't... You don't want to call somebody happy who's like asleep his whole life. This is one of the um, examples he gives. Or fully happy while he is asleep. Both, right? Sleep is uh, an instrumental good. It's only for work. You know, and the being at work, right? So when you're engaged, and then it has to be a product of an active condition. And what that does is makes it intentional. We're going to find out that... Uh, the moral virtues hang decisively on whether they're done for the right reason. The active condition, that is to say, practicing over and over until you actually don't want anything or much of anything except the good. You'll find as you grow older, you probably already are, that there are things that were obstacles to you, that were temptations to you or difficulties for you, and you don't face those anymore. You have new ones now. Right? And, and uh, that means you're growing, right? And your soul is becoming more virtuous. What's unique about us 
is we have a body that can be trained and improved and sustained, but we have a soul that has discretion over it. And so it's in the soul where the unique thing happens, right? And see, if you just imagine the order of nature as we can imagine it, even without the Bible, if we can see the difference between ourselves and a dog, we could see the difference between ourselves and an imagined more perfect being who was reasonable in a higher way and not dragged down by interference. You might get a picture of an angel, right? And so our particular niche is here where the body and the soul are in integrity. And the rational soul is what's different about us. And so the perfections of the human being would be located there. And those perfections are more abiding than the physical perfections. Just remember, we're looking then for a description of the operation of the human being excellently in the various situations of human life that present obstacles to living it well. In a certain way, we're running an obstacle course here. And we're about to meet the two primary obstacles in the next lesson. And they're really cool and immediate, and they will add some definition to what we're talking about here. But happiness is ultimately an activity of the soul that is excellent in all of the ways that the human being acts. And also all of the ways that the human being thinks. And if you can be good at all of those things, you will certainly have a wide measure of happiness. And to the extent that you're not good in that way, your happiness will be compromised. And Aristotle presents that as just a fact, inescapable. And hopeful, you can be good at all that. According to your abilities, everyone, except the severely impaired who are rare, can have a significantly virtuous and happy life. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.